Girls in Work presents Sexism in the City. Behind every statistic is a story, and we're sharing yours. The good, the bad, and the funny to help drive change for women in the workplace. This is Girls in Work. Find us at girlsinwork.com. What are your immediate thoughts when somebody says, nowadays, women can have it all? In today's third episode of our very special Girls in Work mini-series, Sexism in the City, we'll be discussing this question, or for a more accurate description, pulling this question apart, (laughs) I think so will agree, alongside balancing kids and careers and discussing the gender pay and promotions gap. What a wonderful description of the episode you're about to hear. (laughs) And we just want to say, like, last week's episode was quite a heavy topic, particularly the second half of it. And while the topics we are discussing on this week's episode are still very important you'll hear that this episode is a bit more fun it's a little bit more light-hearted and we did record these episodes in quite quick succession and you'll hear at probably the last quarter of this episode we start to lose it a little bit so we do <laughs> apologize in advance but do keep with us until the end because there's an incredible submission that we chat through or like em said probably more rip it apart right at the end but it's one of my favorite moments probably of our podcasting careers <laughs> Careers. Yet. Um, I know, a very loosely worded career. But yeah, I'm going to shut up now because this is a long enough episode already. <laughs> Let's just get started. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> I love that. Enjoy. We're getting worse. To briefly outline the legal position, discrimination on the basis of sex, pregnancy or maternity is unlawful under the Equality Act 2010. Harassment on the basis of sex and sexual harassment is also unlawful. Harassment is unwanted behaviour which is offensive or which makes a person feel intimidated or humiliated. If you believe you have been subject of discrimination or harassment, you should seek legal advice. If the action happened in the last three months, you may be able to pursue a claim at the Employment Tribunal. Please do get in touch with me at Thrive Law if you'd like any further assistance. It is also worth adding that any legal discussions in this podcast are for reference purpose only. It's only accurate at the date in which it's discussed. Anything said does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking or deciding not to take any action. Please contact me at Thrive if you have any questions. As you've probably just heard in the introduction, we have two topics for you in today's episode. The first one is a really great discussion all around this question of can women have it all? And we put the question to you and there were some really great submissions that we're going to chat through in just a moment. And then the second half of this episode is all about the gender pay and promotions gap. So if you're just joining us for episode three, I'm Soph, I've got Em here with me and Alicia, who you've probably just heard do the legal disclaimer. Alicia is our resident employment solicitor for this special series and we are so grateful to have her on board. So before we get into the submissions, I actually just want to introduce you to a very special guest. We were really lucky. We've been really grateful to be able to speak to a number of different experts throughout the the process of pulling all of the research together for this series and I want to introduce you to Emma who works for the Young Women's Trust who's a wonderful organisation and I'm going to let Emma explain who she is and what the Young Women's Trust does in just a second but we chatted with her and there's just a little clip of our chat with her that just wonderfully introduces both of the topics for today's episode. Hi, I'm Emma and I'm the Digital Engagement Officer at Young Women's Trust and I work on the digital elements like the social media and our emails to supporters and Young Women's Trust is a feminist organisation working to achieve economic justice for young women. We campaign for young women's equality in the workplace and our research looks at what young women's lives are really like. 
So when the pandemic hit, the government cancelled the mandatory gender pay gap reporting. So they postponed that and they're still yet to reinstate that. It's really important that, that they do reinstate this um, so we can see the impact of the pandemic on the gender pay gap. And we actually recently found in a survey we did that one in five female HR managers agreed that women in their organisations are paid less than men for jobs at the same level. So, you know, that's coming from the people that are doing the hiring, that are working in the HR of these of these organizations. We found that 40% of HR managers say that jobs in their organization are often advertised without details of the salary level. So, you know, this often this means that the wage will be based on the new employee's previous salary. And this therefore just perpetuates the gender pay gap. You know, if someone is already being underpaid, and then their next job, they're asked to base it on their salary, then they're going to continue to be underpaid you know and we know this the statistics show that this mostly impacts women and black candidates it's also really important to think about the other elements of a job you know not just pay employers should be publishing their parental leave policies so you know you anyone that is you know considering having children can you know see really clearly what that policy is and know what to expect we actually found that one in ten hiring managers said they would be reluctant to hire a woman they thought may go on to start a family. So this isn't even, you know, someone that has children or that is, you know, pregnant. This is someone that they just thought might go on to start a family. And that, you know, isn't the same for a male candidate. They're not having that same concern. One in five HR managers said that being pregnant or having young children negatively affects a woman's chances of progression or promotion. And obviously, you know, it's illegal to ask women whether they have children or whether they plan to during recruitment. But these, you know, managers are are making that call based on based on how they perceive you punished for having children or for the potential that you might have children I think that's it's it's not even that you are necessarily definitely having children it's someone looking at you and saying you look like you might have children so therefore I'm not going to hire you and, and you know and it's even the fact that you might get a job but then you when you get pregnant you're judged for getting pregnant you're judged for that choice or that you know that that situation that has happened and we found that almost a quarter of young women with children said they'd been discriminated against because of being pregnant or or on maternity leave or returning to work after maternity leave so it doesn't just end when you become pregnant it's that whole journey and when you're then impacted on that stage of your career it can have a devastating impact on women's careers and their finances you know and that's 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 really going to hinder women's careers We're going to talk a lot around everything that Emma's just mentioned there, but my goodness, it's so, I think the whole theme of the series has been annoying, frustrating, horrifying, but not surprising around all of the stats and and all of the research, particularly everything that Emma's just mentioned. And so just want to say thank you again to Emma and the Women's Trust for agreeing to chat with us and share their research with us. And hopefully you'll hear a little bit more from Emma in next week's episode as well. But for now, we're going to jump right back into your submissions. So like we've mentioned, we asked you what your immediate thoughts were when somebody says, nowadays women can have it all. The first submission we had was from a strategy and account director in Birmingham who said, it sounds like something a man who wouldn't know would say I like that one (laughs) Bex in Liverpool said I want to say I agree but the idea of actually juggling all of that myself career and family fills me with anxiety the capital letters in capital letters yeah (laughs) I can't even say that 
<laughs> Laura, a management consultant in Johannesburg and London, said having it all just seems to set yet another impossible standard for everyone to feel bad about. A marketing and communications exec in Liverpool said, yes, if male bosses pay accordingly, respect family ties and women are treated equally. Bolly said, of course women deserve it all. If they can have it all, there is no reason they shouldn't. The sentence nowadays women can have it all could have negative connotations, i.e. if it was said by a man, it feels more negative. If it is said by a woman, it feels empowering. And Nina, a senior director in tech, had some really insightful comments on this too. So um, let's pass on to her. That's a very, very good one. I think... What I understand under that statement is, I I think of my grandmother. My grandmother, she was happy to get married to my grandfather. She had nine children. She couldn't have made it any other way. She had uh, maids and cook and she didn't drive. So she had the chauffeur. She just, as a lot of people would be saying in the US, she was living the life. My grandfather was making money, was working hard and uh, I mean, when you have nine kids, you have to support them and make sure that they get their education and everything. I never asked that grandmother of mine, but basically I assumed she never wanted to have a career outside. Her family was her. My other grandmother on the other side, if she had been living in today's world, she would have, she also had the maid and the cook and she didn't know how to drive, but she would have left the kids with the nannies and she would have ran outside to to be working. And now when I fast forward it to my generation, I think when people say women can have it all is simply that we are not financially dependent on them. We can work if we want to, but we have the choice. It's the freedom of choice. I, I, if I meet a woman who doesn't want to work, she has a very wealthy husband, she wants to sit home, it's fine with her. If she, it's her choice, that's absolutely fine. I'd be against it if the husband is forcing her to do that, but I'd be against it as well if the husband says, no, you have to work, you have to work 40, 50 hours a week. And so the question or the statement for me is I can choose what I want. I can select my life. If I want to make a career, I can go for it. Or if I say, you know, I don't want to do it. Well, in that case, I would need to find the rich husband first. Sophie. <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, I think it's about the freedom of choice that we can have it all. For heaven's sake, we can have kids without having the guy. The guys don't have that choice. And we are much stronger than men. And I think a lot of times, the fact that men want to, in quotation marks, put us into our places because they are worried about the strength and they're not used to it because we really don't need them as much as they need us. I, I feel like every single one of these we could talk for hours around mm-hmm. and there's so many excellent points. Um, I think just one question I want to put to you both is when somebody says women can have it all or have it all, how do you interpret that? Because I think it means different things to different people. I think to me, it means that they can have equal opportunities and everything that they would they would want to have. So obviously, I don't think that mm-hmm. means that every woman has to be this amazing yeah. career go-getting mother if that's not what they want to do. I think it means that women can be stay-at-home mothers if they want. Equally, they cannot mm-hmm. have children if that's what they want. In my mind, the idea of having it all isn't this idea of juggling everything, career and family, if that's not yeah. what you want. I think it's mm-hmm. it is kind of reaching the point where you can just have whatever it is that you want out of yeah. life and the fact that you're a woman isn't the barrier to that. Yeah, I think that's what, what Nina said, isn't it? That we're no longer financially dependent on men. And I think, and she talks about this freedom of choice. Can you just imagine having to be financially dependent on a man? Mm-hmm. That fills me with anxiety, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Next level feels anxiety, so do I. <laughs> I think it's the same when I think about, like, historically and the lack of, like, the pill and childcare being in female yeah. control. 
the idea that you wouldn't actually be able to control whether or not you have children that fills me with anxiety again like and any man i don't care who they are would not get anywhere near me <laughs> <laughs> yeah ab- abstinence would be the way forward yeah socially distancing i'd have brought that in years ago sorry em what were you gonna say um <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to bring it back to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's like, I need to bring it back. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, do you know what? I've, after sort of reading all the different responses about this, I think there's so many different ways that you could interpret this question because I was actually sat here earlier thinking, how would I answer this? And I was like, well, what does this even mean? Because it feels like you're asking, what is a successful woman? And it's almost like these bullet points that we have to almost like tick boxes of what a successful woman is. And I think I was thinking about some of the articles we see out there, such as like how she does it or what's her secret. Mm -hmm. And I think all these types of questions that we see sort of feed into creating these expectations for women to meet and achieve. And then I think that creates a sense of failure for Mm. other women who don't or might not want those things, if that makes sense. So it's almost like it's a trap that kind of like sets the bar for having success so out of reach for many of us and kind of like denies the opportunity to define for ourselves what all means to us so that's sort of like one interpretation I had of it but then the other side of it it's quite a challenging question to ask as well because Mm -hmm. we all have different privileges and we're all from we all have exposure to different opportunities and I think you have to take into context context that everyone comes from like different walks of life and there's no right or wrong answer to this question so when I actually came to like right what is my answer to this (laughs) what is your conclusion (laughs) to this essay question <laughs> is that it's not about asking that question it's about redefining having it all yeah. so realizing that we get to make choices about what priorities we value and are important to us and i think just going back to what nina said i really liked this idea of having that freedom of choice and getting to choose yeah. what success means to us individually but then as part of that it's about equal opportunities as well and having the access to do things and sharing it all so i think my conclusion is we're getting there in the end that <laughs> What we need to work on. I want references like, at the end of this. Em. Honestly, I was sat here earlier and I was like, how, how do I want to answer this question? But I think what we need to work on is allowing people to feel and be in positions where we can develop our own definitions of having it all and then stop asking the question altogether. I like that. And I think it ties into what Laura said as well, isn't it? About how it's, it's just that question seems to just set an impossible standard for for women to feel bad about because we'll we'll talk about this in just a second but I think the natural assumption and interpretation of this question before you Mm -hmm. think about it too much is and like you said Em it probably ties back to all of the stuff we see in the media and on social media and in the news and the articles we read it's kind Mm -hmm. of trying to answer this question can women have the career and the kids thing exactly first of all that's a question that never gets put to men which drives me insane but like because the first thing I thought to this mm-hmm. was, for me, like, I don't want children. So actually, d- does that mean I can't have it all? But like you've both said, no, that just means that my having it all mean, looks completely different to what somebody else mm-hmm. somebody else is having it all. We have one final clip from someone we interviewed who works within the media and advertising industry who talked us through her opinions on this. So aside from you said on it being like a bullet pointed list of expectations for what it means for a woman to be successful it's also kind of makes the assumption that women just have it all and they've magicked it up and it disregards and forgets about a lot of hard work that went into having it all whether that's a happy family life and being a woman who wants to be a housewife or it's someone who has an amazing 
career as a director, it just takes away from all the hard work that went into that dream of having it all. I think when the media say, oh, she has it all, it sort of minimalises everything that went into that. I think it's definitely changing and heading in the right direction. From my experience, I've probably got quite a positive view on it. So I need to kind of appreciate that when I'm answering. But I know there are structures in place like maternity leave um, that still are really, we haven't really come far with that. Yes, men, there are instances where men are allowed to take some of that paternity time so the women can get back to work. The men have a couple of weeks off the beginning of the women's maternity leave where he can take that paternity leave and give her a hand. But it's two weeks and the woman still has to look after the baby alone for 12 months on minimal pay and then come back to work with little support and I think also in other other corporate environments outside of the creative and advertising industry is so far behind my sister works in quite a in a much more she works in the property industry which is much more male dominated it's typically completely dominated by white um, middle class men she's has to wear heels to work she has to wear skirts to work in the boiling heat she's constantly getting sexist remarks she's there are hardly any women that work there role models for her to look up to so I think it's a mixed bag really I think it completely depends what industry you work in what you are talking about whether it's like a, a structure or just the culture I think it's really interesting to think about our influences as well because I think if I think about the television shows that I grew up watching in terms of what the women were striving for on like television yeah. shows so like to take it back to the source material in Sex and the City <laughs> like there's a really big kind of line isn't there about the women who are trying to like be super successful in like some of them in like men's industries yeah. and balancing like some of them have children and some of them and that's really something that I watched a lot when I was growing up and thinking about what future life looks like you really do see that as kind of being those are the role models as when we were but I do think there yeah. is a lot more diversity in that nowadays I do think it's funny because my immediate thought is like people who have it all I do kind of go straight to that idea of you know this this CEO with children who's somehow balancing everything perfectly with high yeah. heels running around in a Land Rover yeah exactly yeah like you said I think things are changing and we are moving forward with stuff but the f literally the first thing that all of us went to when thinking about that question was yeah. was that the career and the family and that just shows that there's still something underlining that hasn't been changed yeah I mean we had quite a few submissions didn't we where they were making that assumption yeah. of that question that it was can women have career and kids and we had quite a lot of responses that that answered that idea and I think we'll obviously read those submissions but I do think it just goes to show that we're not incorrect and that meet being our immediate kind mm -hmm. of thought and then almost catching yeah. ourselves and rallying it back so speaking of the um I was going to say children's submission. <laughs> I, pro I promise we haven't exploited any children in the making of this podcast. Yeah, I, I asked the toddler across the road what she thought about feminism. So like Alicia said, we did have a number of submissions that did mention idea and the career and children. So we are just going to whiz through a couple of these. And some of these are actually tweets that we've spotted on Twitter over the last couple of months as well. So... The first Instagram, I think this was a comment actually on one of our posts, and this was from Alex, who's a construction solicitor, said, I am yet to have children, but my current thought process is that a large amount of having what we as women want, particularly when it comes to our careers, can be impacted by our support systems or the ability to obtain support. I do believe that women can have it all, in quotes, the concept of all being personal to each of us. I'm hopeful mm -hmm. I can still keep the momentum in my career when the time for a family comes. I know my firm will support me, but a lot will depend on my network to keep that up, I'm sure. 
Scarlett on Instagram from the Isle of Wight said, It was more affordable for me being a student with two children than working full time and paying for childcare because I could work from home when they slept. Since they've entered school age, I thought, yes, we've got to that point, but I am yet to meet a flexible employer around school times. Most schools do not offer after school club and childminders are already full. My partner is also a nursing associate and his hours are 12 and a half hours days on all different days of the week. So it's really hard to find days to work around him and childcare. It would be amazing for jobs that can to allow the flexible working so people can work from home in the hours they need whilst also being able to go into the office when they can. I'm sure there's a better way of running the system above all else sending your child to early breakfast clubs and picking them late after the commute makes a child exhausted, tired and run down. This means days off sick and parents being at home. I hope this pandemic has taught employers that flexible working is possible and should be offered to people who need it. Alexandra Topping, so at Lexi Topping in April 2021, tweeted, I know a pregnant primary school teacher who was giving up her job for a flexible admin role because her wages won't cover childcare costs of two children under three. Why do we just accept that in this country? Seriously, we can revolt for football, but we can just shrug at this bullshit. Another tweet from Alison Stein at Alison Stein, um, which was just the other day, which was... June 2021 as we're recording this said this morning a male guest on morning edition said if you're working from home and this was in quotes you don't have to pay for childcare to which he said excuse me have you ever tried working from home with an unattended child truly spoken by a man whose wife is taking care of everything at the expense of her life I feel like I felt the emotion from that tweet when I saw it. <laughs> I felt the yeah. I felt the like the anger bubbling up inside me as well. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it, when you think about mm-hmm. that, how to balance childcare and I, th- yeah. I think just the first point I, I guess I just want to chat around is the challenge and the barrier many mm-hmm. women face is this cost of childcare, isn't it? And I actually didn't realise quite how yeah. horrendous it was actually until I started talking to a friend of mine who who's recently had a baby. Because Alyssa, you probably know more than me. Statutory maternity pay, you get ninety percent for your first six weeks and then it's £151.97 or 90% of your salary whichever's lower for 33 weeks after that but obviously statutory maternity leave is 52 weeks you are only paid for 39 of those weeks now there is then the added complication of shared parental leave so you can give some of that leave to your partner there is paternity leave but that's only for two weeks so there is obviously men can can kind of take some leave initially but it's not going to be a particularly long period of time without sacrificing salary and then even then when we get to the end of the maternity pay if you've managed to survive that long without Mm -hmm. with limited payments you then do have to figure out and this is where you tend to see the issues how you're going to go back to work and balance that with childcare because as as was clear from some of these mm-hmm. submissions quite often it is not financially viable to be a full-time employee and send your children to childcare full-time aside from whether that's what something you want to do and it's we're not making commentary on what people's choices are for childcare but actually a lot of people say that that's not the most financially viable way to, to structure it and the idea that we still have a kind of society where it's more beneficial for both parents not always just the woman but parents to work less because they can't afford for their children to be in childcare it just feels quite messy yeah. to me and doesn't really feel like it facilitates quality yeah. really mm-hmm. I was just about to say because the second half yeah. of this episode that I hopefully we'll get on to is obviously the gender pay gap and I think this is where it's a bit of a vicious circle isn't it because actually it makes sense for the the mm-hmm. person in the partnership whoever's paid less to take the reduced job or to go part-time or to take the reduced hours or to almost leave their career altogether to, to look after the child if the childcare is so expensive and that is typically the woman or even if they do get go into being paid part-time part-time work is paid less than full-time work per hour and it's just like it's all of these things that it just feels like the whole system is set up to 
put these barriers in place, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I suppose also just something to quickly touch upon is this idea of flexible working roles. If you've been employed by the same employer for more than 26 weeks, you are entitled to make a flexible working request and your employer has to accept it, subject to eight specific reasons they're allowed to reject it. So they can't just reject it because they've decided Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. They have to kind of identify a particular business reason why it's not suitable. That was quite a big breakthrough in terms of trying to facilitate childcare and and kind of support women. And it is it has been very well received in in terms of and it is it's a statutory process. So it's it's not up for discussion. It is simply a matter of if you don't have a good enough reason to reject it, that has to go into place. And so I do think that Mm -hmm. that is one of those things that we are seeing so much of them someone else has talked about post pandemic so many people who have seen working from home is better or working flexibly so that you can Mm -hmm. leave to pick up the children or they don't have to be there for as long however that works so we are seeing a lot more flexible working requests at the moment and this structure where the default position is that it will be accepted but for eight specific reasons is is really facilitating the change Mm -hmm. you might those women might need usually women no, that is that is good to know. And I didn't actually realise there were like proper processes in place that employers had to adhere to for that. So I was just going to ask, just out of curiosity, what are those eight reasons? Because a couple of years ago, I tried to do this. <laughs> I think I was going to say, I was going to bring this up because I always just think of this example. But I was like, oh, best not. <laughs> So a couple of years ago, I put in a request to essentially work from a different office. Was it one or two days a week? I can't. It I was can't one. Remember why? It was one day. So. Was, it, was it only one? Oh, look at me! I was look. At, I was being like I was willing to compromise, and yeah, just one day a week because on the basis of my mental health, because I was really, really struggling at the time, and I just needed this day where I didn't have to commute as as far. And I I kind of submitted it to my manager at the time. And again, I'm, I really, really need to stress this is not my current employer, but I submitted it to my manager at the time, and he basically basically just vetoed it he didn't even send it to like HR or anybody he he basically just completely threw it back at me and said no so I'd love to know <laughs> um because at the time I this this way you need legal friends um... <laughs> I, I could have really done with you Alicia because yeah. I remember at the time thinking I really don't think this is right but honest I genuinely didn't have the energy to fight it by that um, but point also you didn't know enough about um, it that was that was the issue no, so there's, there's two points the first point is that if it's related to your mental health you could argue that it's a, a reasonable adjustment so we're not going to talk too much about disability discrimination because it's not the subject of this podcast but it is worth noting that if the reason you're requesting something like that is to support you in in a mental health condition which may amount to a disability they they should really be exploring it for that reason but secondly mm. assuming you've been employed for more than more than six months they can only reject it for specific reasons so you it has to cost more that will damage the business you can't reorganize the work amongst other staff people can't be recruited to do that work it will affect quality and performance you won't be able Mm -hmm. to meet customer demand there's a lack of work to do during those working times so if you're suggesting different hours and that's most common in things like customer service roles when they're like i'll work for the call center after 6 p.m and you're like well we close at six that's obviously not going to work or the business is planning changes to the workforce otherwise so if they've got something big in the in the kind of lead up that they're just not communicating on at the moment but i I mean they are really specific and if you fail to do that you can take them to the tribunal for it so and and obviously as i said we are yeah. seeing a lot more flexible working requests the clients i work with for the most part employers are dealing with it appropriately doesn't mean everyone yeah. is um and so it is worth if you have had a request rejected and it doesn't seem to slot within that it's definitely worth asking those questions and mm-hmm. trying to see whether it is a breach of the flexible working regulations and then raising that with hr or your manager as appropriate that is really useful to know hopefully that might help some people as well because yeah i could have really Mm. done with knowing that
So just kind of tied into this, and I think this is like probably one of my favourite discussions. So we're just going to read you through some stats from, and I'm going back to this book, which is called Invisible Women by Caroline Criada Perez, just on this topic and around the idea of of kind of women doing the unpaid work and the childcare and and part-time work and stuff. So the first one is that globally, 75% of unpaid work is done by women who spend between three and six hours per day doing unpaid work. And unpaid work includes anything from like the cleaning or the cooking to the childcare to caring duties or anything anything like that so that's three and six hours per day for women compared to men's 30 minutes to two hours in the u.s men manage to find over an hour more spare time to rest versus women so the next point is as women have joined the workforce the ratio hasn't shifted women simply increase their total work time in the uk the office for national statistics found that men enjoy five more hours leisure time per week than women do In the UK, 42% of women compared to 11% of men work part-time and women make up 75% of part-time workers. Statistics also show that part-time work is paid less per hour than full-time work. Women end up working in jobs below their skill level for the flexibility they need, but not the pay they deserve. I just keep going, ugh, ugh. I know. (laughs) After after we read every single one of these, I'm like... We just fall further and further into like despair, don't we? Every day, every time we do this. You're, you're going to be editing this back so you can just hear us all just making weird noises. I do just think like, and I know it is changing, but it's just like that second point as women have joined the workforce, yeah. those hours of unpaid work. It's not like the men have picked up the unpaid work as women have gone into work. Like, no, women are just increasing their total work time, which actually has health repercussions further down the line because obviously there's exhaustion and tiredness and if we're not resting like these men that get there <laughs> the five more hours leisure time or like an extra hour a week to rest the leisure time thing has frustrated me hugely yeah. because you know there's leisure time but also just free time and yeah. taking that time to look after yourself and, mm. and you know have that kind of self-care or whatever it may be and I think the the inequality there is really startling because, as you say, that then impacts how fit someone is and how healthy someone is. And Yeah. I was reading one of the articles I read said it's not about doing it all, it's about sharing it all. And I think that's where it comes in. I think this links back to what Alex, the construction solicitor from earlier, about saying how it's, it's important to her that she needs that network and she feels that network is going to be really important um, when she has children. And I think this leads nicely on to kind of the next thing I wanted to, to discuss was this idea that, and I've read a couple of books that talk about this as well, but actually because women end up doing all this unpaid work, there's this idea that if women want to, again, I'm going to put this I'm just going to always have to put this in quotes now but if women want to have it all they also need that support network and they need to have a supportive partner or or family or friends or any kind of network that's going to help with all of the above and share that unpaid work what do you guys think because I think that's a pretty sound theory from what we've discussed yeah I completely agree I think it's also I do think increasingly it is what maybe it's just the people I'm exposed to but I do think compared to the people I grew up with as children there was a lot more inequality in the parents than I mm-hmm. would see now so it would always be yeah. like mums picking the kids up from school or mums organising the parties or, or whatever yeah. it may be or mm-hmm. the mums were work- weren't working whilst the fathers were off working I do think now some of my friends are starting to have children or other people that in my kind of generation are starting to have children I do think there is a a bit more of a kind of equality in that stance and a bit more of a partnership approach to it and I think it's only going to get better because actually I I feel it's a bit of a generational thing as well because like you said Alicia it's better now than it was but actually when we were growing up Mm -hmm. and like for my parents it was better for them than it was for my grandparents and stuff and I think there's going to be less of this traditional view from I I don't want to say men but from everybody because actually we've grown up 
with a lot of mums working as well as as well as the dads in that in that traditional family unit like the women have been working as as much as the men so it's not almost as unusual anymore I think that actually the boys that kind of we grew up with they're not all of a sudden going to turn around and say I don't want you to work I want you to stay at home and do the cooking and the cleaning Mm -hmm. because that's not what they've been exposed to either Um, whereas actually the generation before us like I'd say there's one side of my family that was very traditional and that was was very like that with my grandparents but actually obviously as the years have gone on it's got a lot better but and but now my brother wouldn't ever think about that do you know what I mean and I think it's obviously getting better as the generations go on that made any sense yeah definitely (laughs) I do think though if if we're talking about this idea that sharing the burden of unpaid work and sharing the burden of of things like childcare and stuff I do think that the systems in place have to support that yeah and and, and I know we've we've talked about that before but I don't necessarily think they do um there's a whole kind of article and some thoughts at the moment from a company called pregnant then screwed which I would definitely recommend if you ever want to get quite angry about maternity (laughs) discrimination that's the place to go but they've they're starting to kind of do some consultation on whether or not shared parental leave is is even fit for purpose this idea that women have to give their time away to men and ultimately spend less time with their newborns and and that has to go to men for men to then spend time and they're not going to be very keen to do that because employers men quite often there's a stigma associated with requesting that and employers don't fully understand it because it's not really been used very much and so I think a lot of there's a whole discussion piece at the moment around whether although shared parental leave potentially has good intentions it doesn't necessarily do have that supportive role that they were hoping it would in terms mm-hmm. of encouraging that equality from the off and there's campaigns in terms of changing it and making it well both people just have six months leave that's what you get but you get the whole time off yeah. and facilitating that so I do think as we kind of have more conversations about what does work and what doesn't work about what shared parental leave that will be from the beginning of that child's life when they come into the world and obviously that will then filter into their relationship with the parents how the parents work moving forward so I do think if we got that right it could make it could have a really big impact on that balance for the for the rest of that kind of childcare need. I'm just going to read through the last submission that we had and this was an interview I did with Bolly but then I've got another question for you Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) So in our interview with Bolly she agreed with everything kind of we've discussed and that women need more support but she also said women have to ask for it as well not because they should have to but some people just have to be told for them to understand our view as women communication is key to getting what we really want sometimes people think what they think because of what they were told but if we share how we really feel and what we really want if they care enough they should agree with us and stand up for the rights that we rightfully deserve the rights that men have but never have to ask for but unfortunately we as women do and and I think that's a, that's a really good mm. point again if you've got a partner they yeah. might not actually be think they may be thinking you want to do and I'm mean, not that I can talk from experience but I think I think that whole idea of yeah. sometimes you do just have to ask for it and we have to have that confidence and that empowerment don't we to ask for the things I think it is it is just about continuing to speak up and voicing and vocalizing how how you're feeling and I think it goes back to what you're saying Alicia about that things are are changing and that you know getting a bit more positive but there's still some systems in place that don't support that so we all have a role to play where we just we just speak up where we can just to try and and shift it yeah and I think again this actually links back to what we've been talking about in the other episodes about representation at that senior management level in in a business as well because actually obviously and unfortunately men don't think like we do or like obviously they've got no experience of what it's 
what it's like to be pregnant or anything like that so actually it sometimes it needs women on the boards not just for every other positive reason to be women need this this is what they need I don't know whether it might be worth just around the the legal stance on obviously if, if a woman does get pregnant in terms of because I know there's loads of rules isn't there around obviously you're not allowed to ask about it in interviews or anything like that but also if you go on maternity leave like you have to have your job back they can't just get rid of you <laughs> while you're on maternity leave so I don't know if you want to talk just around a couple of those points just if anybody it might help somebody you never know yeah so effectively maternity so pregnancy and maternity is one of the protected characteristics under the equality act the ways in which it's protected are is, is lengthy and we could we could talk about it for quite a while in terms of obviously you can't be subject to direct discrimination you can't be subject to harassment indirect discrimination as well so policies that will kind of cause you a detriment because you're pregnant they can't be in place either as we've said you can't have questions which came up in the the harassment podcast we did as well but can't have questions about when people are going to have children and and obviously that's that's not going to be acceptable if you are on ordinary maternity leave so uh, maternity leave splits into two 26 weeks processes so ordinary maternity leave is the first 26 weeks additional maternity leave is the second 26 weeks if you're on ordinary maternity leave you're entitled to return to the same job on the same term if you're on additional maternity leave you're entitled to return to to paraphrase as close to that role as you can get it's not to say that you're entirely protected from redundancy so it's not that you are absolutely guaranteed to keep your job if there's a structure-wide redundancy going on but if there is a redundancy situation that's affecting the group of employees of which you are in if there are suitable alternatives you have to be offered it as kind of almost first dibs so that's very broadly an absolute whistle stop tour through <laughs> some of the some of some of the some of the methods by which pregnant women are protected in the workplace um obviously i think the general procedure has to be if if something feels wrong get advice and, and try and figure out if it is wrong if you can prove that you're being treated poorly or something's changing for you in the workplace because you are pregnant that's ultimately probably going to be unlawful and that should be something that you raise with your employer or get or get legal advice on the only only other thing i think is is really relevant here when we're talking about this and it will mm-hmm. come up in episode four is time limits so you only have three months less one day from the last act of discrimination so if something happens to you just before your maternity leave that you think was wrong you can't then and wait until you come back from your maternity leave to raise it it'll be out of time in the time in the tribunal obviously the company can do something about it if they want but there's very minimal legal ramification for them not it's a huge issue and it's something that people who campaign in the realm of maternity and pregnancy say should be extended because you've got other stuff going on <laughs> it's not going to be your first your yeah, first process just... isn't going to be oh i forgot yeah. i need to forgot i need to complain <laughs> about this um but i do it's always just one of those things that if something happens to you be mindful of your time limits if you do want to escalate it because what you don't want is you to finally find the strength or the time to escalate it for them someone to then turn around and say actually we don't have to do anything about this so just to kind of round up this segment of the podcast in terms of women can can women have it all when i put this question to um instagram a friend of mine actually replied with something that i was so I was like, this is a kind of exactly the conversations that I feel like we need to be having. Because her, her response, and I'm just going to read it to you, just said, white middle class women can maybe have it all. And it's referred to as white feminism. And so I was I was having this conversation with her and then um, looking into this a lot and, and reading some books. And a Robert Walters DNI report highlighted that when it comes to personal circumstances, such as family and culture, it's women from an Asian background who feel the least understood by the manager compared to a quarter of white women who feel the same. And then just to expand on this a little bit, 
there's a book I read called Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall and I'm just going to read this quote from the book that says uh, when the obstacles you face vary by race and class then so too do your priorities after all for women who are struggling to keep themselves housed fed and clothed it's not a question of working hard enough they are leaning in but not in search of equal pay or having it all their quest for equal pay starts with equal access to education and opportunity and I think this actually ties really nicely into what um, you were saying you can't just assume that every woman is is kind of reaching for the same things and I know there's a lot of conversation around obviously that reference to, to leaning in and to Sheryl Sandberg's book Lean In I remember when I first read that book that was actually quite a catalyst for Girls in Work and um, we read it at a similar time didn't we and I remember thinking like mm. oh like this is amazing like I love all of these points that she's making it's brilliant but then actually I had a, a further conversation with my friend who made the submission and she said like that's all good because actually it was a good almost introduction to <laughs> this idea of like equality in the workplace and and feminism and all that kind of stuff but actually now I look back having learnt a lot since then you actually realise that that book is written from a very privileged position um, obviously Cheryl Sandberg is a mm-hmm. white middle class woman who's who's financially stable you presume obviously you don't know but you can assume yeah being the... she had a lot of lot more support yeah and so obviously the things that she says and she says yeah you've got to say this at work and do this and do this again like we kind of referenced to in previous episodes for some women they don't have that privilege to do that because actually they are at work they are literally working paycheck to paycheck or or they don't have enough money as it is and actually like that book said they're having it all would looks like the equal mm-hmm. pay to start with but also just making sure they have enough to put food on the table or they feel safe living where they live or or things like that and I just think it's a really again just something to acknowledge when we're talking about all of this that we all have a privilege of some sort don't we yeah like, um, and I think when we're talking about we started out earlier on talking about how far we've come in feminism terms in terms of equal opportunities and, and moving mm-hmm. in there and I think we have to acknowledge that there's still an awful lot more work to do in terms of intersectionality and diversity um, and those those initial experiences and those initial exposures and opportunities really are going to shape it's not going to shape what your definition of having it all is it's just going to shape how attainable it is and that's the bit that makes it really sad because for me as a a, a middle class white woman uh, by my own kind of definition I I have an idea of what I think having it all is and I I don't necessarily think it's out of my grips I'm not saying I don't think there's going to be barriers but I don't think who I am is going to be a barrier to that whereas there may be other people who by virtue of what they their experiences in life so far maybe they didn't have as good of education or whatever but their idea of having it all may still be the idea of mine but it's just never going to be attainable and never going to be never going to be in their reach because of because of their background and because of their whatever it may be and I think that's really something we have to acknowledge in this conversation and I think I think it it was in this book of feminism is all about equality for women and you're never going to get that until we have equality Mm -hmm. for all women not just white women and and that's what we've got to remember isn't it like like you said Alicia we're not there yet at all and like you said like there's so much more to do and I think actually I mean I know we're going to talk about equal pay and I know that's kind of the next topic but I think this kind of slides in quite well to that discussion in terms of there are campaigns we obviously already have to report certain certain institutions already have to report equal pay statistics between Mm -hmm. males and females and there's actually cases you you know where you're brought to court because you don't pay your men and women equally as arising from partly from the Black Lives Matter movement but from other BAME questions and consultations on this there are calls for us all to have equal also to have equal pay reporting for different races different backgrounds different religions because ultimately we all never have a good enough idea of whether equal pay is actually just equal pay for white women as we say or if it's actually playing out across the entirety of equality and the entirety of society as we would want it to 
It's funny you talk about that, Alicia, because actually the Robert Walters Diversity and Inclusion in the Workplace Strategy Report um, talks about this pay disparity between uh, black and white professionals. And they found that 42% of black professionals do not receive a pay rise after ne- negotiation, which is actually double the number of, of that of white professionals. And that number stands even starker for black women, for whom it stands at 63%. Another paragraph from Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall said that employment equality statistics project the idea that all women make 77 cents to a man's dollar when the reality is that white women make that much and women of colour make less than white women. I do think the statistics are absolutely startling and I do think it's something that we kind of have to have to acknowledge if we're going to talk about sexism in the workplace. There is an entire extra section of intersectionality and feminism that we have to acknowledge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just to link this really nicely into the next segment of this podcast I've just got a couple of more statistics from my favorite book Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez and the first one of these is that in the UK women make up 61% of those earning below living wage and in the US the pay gap between mothers and married fathers is three times higher than that of men and women without children and in Germany women who have one child can expect to earn $285,000 less than women who have worked without interruption and I do just think that really highlights the conversation we were having before a little bit about this the unpaid work and the and the actual there's almost a point where naturally because women are the ones who who give birth we kind of diverse from the equality that we've maybe had as at the lower levels because there is that natural point where actually there is something that we have to do that men can't do and it's just that statistic about the pay gap between them being three times higher whether they have children or not, I just find absolutely startling in terms of that That just goes to show what, what it is that we really have yeah. to move against. Yeah, that last one just blew my mind mm. when I first read it. I don't it. like the phrase without interrupt. I know that's the point. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> yeah. So one of our Instagram polls, we um, asked, have you ever been found out you've paid, been paid less than a male colleague for the same job? And 44% of people said yes, which I was startled by. We chatted about this before, didn't we? And that's out of the women who found out. Now, I imagine (laughs) that number would be a lot higher if people, if the women who didn't know probably found out. Not that it, not that any business makes it very easy to find out that information. But yeah, for that to have been of the women who knew, I think that's, that's a a very high figure. (laughs) I actually wasn't expecting it to be that high. No, I really wasn't. I mean, I don't actually see that many equal pay claims because the the principle is fairly fairly simple it's just equal pay for equal work and i i don't you don't yeah. see that many examples of employers going out of their way to not have that be what what takes place so the idea that 44 percent have unfortunately uncovered that i think is really startling i remember a friend actually talking about it's a friend of ours who found out years and years ago and it's not in, this, in the job she's in now but but she's i don't know if she's gonna like me saying this but i always think she's very ballsy but in the best way possible like she will call shit out and i do it's one of the things I absolutely love about her and she's always been very open about this kind of stuff and I remember her saying he just basically went around and told people how much she was paid and asked them how much they were paid and a guy in her office who she worked alongside the same role same level all that kind of stuff was being paid more than she was and she took it to the management she said she called it out and said look this is unfair I want a pay increase and they basically I'm sure she said that the management were essentially not happy that they'd been talking about salary and I just think that is the problem isn't it because actually money is still a taboo and 
for a lot of people. I I don't think any of anybody I work with. I don't think I've ever told anybody I work. With. I don't think I've ever told anybody apart from my mum and dad how much how much I earn because it feels like it's not really the thing to do still. But actually, if everybody was a lot more open about this, then I guarantee that number would probably double if we all found out what everybody else was was earning. There is this like yeah. innate Britishness in not not yes. discussing your salary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know what any of my friends are paid. I I don't yeah. know what anyone else in my organisation is paid. And I suppose that is kind of quite a convenient a convenient curtain to fall behind yeah. if an employer did yeah. want to pay unequally. I think there's the campaign at the minute. Is it called Show the Salary? In terms of, and this is something that I've I've thought about for a while, and I'm actually really happy. If there's a full campaign about it now in terms of showing salary on job applications, because I think that's where some companies get away with it as well isn't it they say oh Mm. the salary is competitive or or they don't show it and actually a that it's a barrier for women actually for applying because actually if you don't know what the salary is you don't know if it's worth you applying it could be it could not be is it worth you taking your time out of your work day to go to an interview all that kind of stuff and I I think that's that's a really important issue that they're really campaigning for but also the fact that they probably the companies have then they could and I'm not saying anybody does but you can believe that it happens if they hire a woman they could go oh well we'll pay them this much and if they hire a man they could say we'll pay them this much if they haven't set that yeah. salary before the application yeah. or, or the process starts they can get away with anything can't they so and it's not even about them necessarily taking into account kind of immediately oh that's a woman and oh that's a man it's about them if they take into account things like you know extended time yeah. off or like years in in service if mm. someone's had time off for maternity leave whatever it may be and then they try and argue that that's fairly impacted salary well does mm-hmm. it really is that person still that many years qualified are you should you be taking that into account so I do I do completely agree actually this is uh, this idea of we offer you what mm-hmm. we think you're worth that's really really subjective yeah. and we're not you're not as an employer you're not necessarily taking you'd have to be incredibly well trained not to take into account unconscious bias when you're yeah. making those decisions. I, I'm just on the show the salary website, which is just showthesalary.com. And they're talking about obviously like why they have the campaign. And there's a stat here that says when asking current or previous salaries was banned, pay increased for black candidates by 13% and for women by 8%. They also know that substantial pay gaps exist for other groups, such as candidates with disabilities and the LGBTQIA plus community, meaning that asking for current salary mm. discriminates against those groups as well. God, I could yeah. talk about this forever. Yeah, I mean, we did have a submission, didn't we? And I suppose it's probably relevant to just bring that one up particularly now. Someone shared with us anonymously that she started her job and about six months in, a new employee was hired to work alongside her and she was making 18000 and the new employee was being paid 21000 a year. Mm. And she found out and explained that she didn't think it was fair um, for the same job and she was told that it was just the way it was and she would have to deal with it. And then I love this. She's so badass with this bit. She says... <laughs> She says, so I did. I I told my boss I hoped the man that they had hired, who was younger than me, was worth the extra 3k they were paying him. He then lasted less than a month. It took me at least six months of fighting my corner to have my salary raised from the 18k up to the 21k that this man had been offered. Finally, it did happen, but when when that happened, I was told it wasn't because I'd, quote, kicked up a fur, but because I deserved it because of my commitment and achievements in my job. And she says that she wanted to share the story because she, so that people know that companies can and will take advantage of you if you allow it. And if you think something's wrong or unjust, you should fight your corner. And she says here at the end, being a woman doesn't make me 
any less valuable to the team. And based on how little this man lasted at the company, it's clear that his paycheck with extra money clearly didn't mean he was worthy of any more. And I just think such a good example of exactly what we were talking about, where you do find someone else's salary and how frustrating that must be. I mean, this woman sounds like she's worth a lot more than 21k, but her manager's words yeah. just smell of mm-hmm. bullshit to me. It was definitely because she yeah. picked up a fuss that she managed to get the, the increase. Yeah, definitely. Although it's worth kind of getting my employment law hat. The phrase kicked up a fuss. Could we claim? Well, you could allege that they've therefore mm. subjected her to a detriment for enforcing yeah. the statutory right of equal pay. So she could potentially have a little bit more to dispute than just whether or not they've paid her correctly and could try and get that back pay back but but obviously I just it's always just something to be aware of if you find something like that out the first thing has to be considering whether or not ultimately not only is it inconvenient but it's also unlawful I love this Alicia because I feel like everything everything we talk about Alicia's just like yep unlawful yep that's unlawful this is is absolutely the pattern in this this podcast is just me rolling my eyes being like this is unlawful i feel like there just needs to be more of an education piece put out there about all of this because if you think of like our early days of sort of starting our career when something like this experience would happen to us we literally even when you made that comment about the fact that he said I kicked up a fuss like we wouldn't think twice about that because we didn't we don't know and I just feel like there needs to be I guess that's the whole purpose of this of this podcast I have the purpose (laughs) (laughs) no but I do I do think it's so important I mean something that I'm trying to do is is talk more about speaking in schools about things like this and, and not just on not just on women's rights, but also things like disability rights, like access to the workplace, what people can or cannot ask about in interviews. Because as you say, when people are first entering the workplace, unfortunately, there are unscrupulous employers who will take advantage of a lack of knowledge. And not yeah. knowledge is power. So Definitely. Because like Em said, mm-hmm. sometimes when you find stuff out like this, you don't actually know what to do. And it's definitely a passion of ours as well to, to try and educate particularly younger, younger women and students who are entering the workforce, not only on how to ask for a pay rise but I guess things in situations like this if you find out someone else has been paid more than you for the same yeah. job Alicia I'm going to direct this question at you what can you do what should do you need any particular evidence how do you go about getting the equal pay for yourself so I would suggest well it's going it, to the starting point is going to be well what does the company structure look like if you've got the kind of structure yeah. where you feel like you can just approach your boss or whoever made that decision and say what the heck's going on start out with that because if you can resolve something informally it's always yeah. going to be better in the yeah. long term for you for your kind of future in the company not that I'm saying they'd be allowed to subject you to a detriment but unfortunately there will be companies or will be employers who think well now she's just being difficult the second step would of course be raising it to like raising it more formally so usually through the formance of a form of a grievance is going to be the most appropriate way the most critical thing is that if you found it out unlawfully you're so you've been looking at something that you should not look at (laughs) be really really careful I personally would be really I would definitely get legal advice before I approached an employer because you're probably breaching other disciplinary and giving rise to other disciplinary consequences but let's assume you found it out in a in a fair way that you should have something that you should have been accessing I would say obviously just note it make sure if it's on a computer system or whatever it may be that you've screenshotted it that you can prove that it actually was there because employers will try and delete things and then obviously raise it as a grievance to have that investigated properly now the next step would be to look into equal pay and figure out whether there is an argument 
on a failure to pay for equal pay for equal work. Now, it's a bit of a minefield. The equal pay regulations are still enforceable here, even though they are an EU regulation. That's probably the first thing to start with. They are a little bit of a minefield, but ultimately, if you raise that you think they've been breached, the company would have to address that appropriately. If they fail to fix it, you can you can bring a claim under the equal pay regulations, but the starting point has to be to give them an opportunity to explain it and to, to figure out, to hopefully to be able to rectify it. So just to go over a few stats that we found. So in 2018, the pay gap for the finance industry was 35.7%. Only eight FTSE 250 companies have a female CEO in 2019. 60% of women believe that a lack of diversity is an issue in the tech sector. Men are almost twice as likely to be a manager, director or senior official than women. And that's from the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Something else to note is that the government did suspend the requirements to report gender pay cap due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So I've been talking about this a lot, but it is worth noting that actually that's on pause at the moment. What are the reasons for that? Um, So I think it's mostly on the basis... (laughs) Is that unlawful, Alicia? (laughs) It's mostly on the basis that companies have a lot to deal with. Um, and I, I, part of me understands, part of me thinks, I understand that you maybe are not going to make this your priority at the moment. It frustrates me because I don't like what it symbolises. Yeah. I don't like that it symbolises that we can no. now put that to the side. But I do broadly understand that in a company or a structure where you're just trying to stay afloat having to try and put that and and gender pay gap reporting is quite detailed having to try and put that together at times of crisis may not be the most convenient i mean despite the fact women have been paid less than than men for like decades but you know it's fine we'll just wait a little bit longer (laughs) i mean something else that i thought there's there's a statistic isn't there that there's there's a day in the year where women have now reached the same amount as the average so the average woman has i can't remember what day it is but there is a date it's, in the year. It's yeah. It's so from November. November onwards, we are working without pay compared to so as an average woman compared to an average man, which partly comes back to this unpaid work thing. That's but I shocking. do. I resent. <laughs> it always comes up on my Instagram, and I'm always really resentful for the vast majority yeah. of the rest of the year. I think we should all just f- off, and when that then that day comes. <laughs> The problem is that if we did all go away, (laughs) if we did, if we did all go away, they would, they would crumble without us. So on what Mm. basis are we being paid less? So we had another interview with Bolly and she made some really interesting submissions. Um, she said she was always nervous about talking about money and salaries in general and her partner graduated two years before her and was in the workplace before her. He had yearly meetings with his boss but wouldn't be afraid to ask for the salary he wants whereas she would be crapping herself just thinking about it. She said, so as I graduated I learned by watching what he did and before getting my graduate job I said to myself I'm not settling for anything less than I want and if that means I let an opportunity go by so be it. The company is hiring in that position because they know the task and the skill set done and know the importance of it so why not pay the price they're just not willing to pay because they know there are interns and university students who are capable of not doing their job where they can get away with paying a fraction of what a professional would be paid she says we including students should not compromise so just because it helps a company i can assure you that if your train was cancelled and you have no train to take home a company will never pay for a hotel stay and that comes out of your salary if the company can afford to pay other people they can afford to pay you she then goes on to explain that she went into a graduate job in london as a marketing assistant at 25k but she has friends who started at 18k and she says she wasn't going to settle for 18k and she says that 
she has a friend who works for a small business who was pretty integral. They promised her a starting salary of 20k, um, but then they decided they need to hire other people, so they cut her down to 16k. And she summarises saying, we have to stand up for ourselves and we have to hold hands with other women and make sure that they're standing up for themselves Gosh. too. Because if some of us accept lower pay and don't do anything about it, then the businesses will just keep doing it. And I love that, like mm-hmm. the idea of holding hands with other, wo- other women and making sure they're standing up for themselves too. Yeah, I feel like we, we mentioned this on our previous podcast safe about how as part of sort of closing the gender pay gap it's also closing this confidence gap and we kind of have to be each other's cheerleaders in this and just encourage us to Mm -hmm. go for it and and to say no if it's not right Uh, when I did this interview with Bolly I actually didn't know Bolly kind of only we'd followed each other on Instagram for years I think but never really chatted outside of (laughs) the comment section on Instagram I fell (laughs) in love with her by the like at literally three minutes into this interview I was like I literally wanted her to be my new best friend her energy and her her outlook and how she she looks at these things I think you can tell from the couple of submissions we've read out from extracts of her interview she's just amazing and and I love that the tenacity and almost like how fierce she is and we were talking about how she didn't she wasn't going to accept the 18k she went into the graduate job at 25k because we were saying about how because actually if you accept that job 18k three years down the line you're going to be at 25k but if you accept if you go for the 25k now imagine what you're going to be on in three years time and like you said em it's having that confidence and knowing how to do that negotiation to get yourself there because it's one of these things that we talk about a lot you're not taught in school you're not taught in college I mean, I can't speak as, from a university experience, but I'm guessing you're not, it's not covered no, a great deal. I can confirm. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is the kind of shit we should be teaching young kids, or not young kids, but like mm-hmm. those about to enter the workforce. Like that skill of negotiation is so important. I do think that it's startling the difference. And it's mm-hmm. such a common theme where you say like, oh, the man went in and asked for a promotion so they gave it to him and, and this idea of having not having equal confidence to do that for ourselves yeah I, I spoke about this briefly and I'll only talk about this quickly but when we were talking about uh, self-promotion in season two and how in my first job all the all the boys I started with seemed mm-hmm. to have this intuition that they had to self-promote and they were going around the office and mm-hmm. speaking to all the managers and telling them how great work they'd done and I couldn't think of anything worse at the time and, and but they seemed to know that's what they had to do <laughs> and I I thought that mm-hmm. if I just got my head down and did the work then I'd get the rewards and it doesn't work like that unfortunately but yeah what is that there's a, there's some kind of natural thing there that made me not realize that's what I had to do yeah. maybe I was just being dumb but you know <laughs> you know when you're like in like year six or whatever and they split you up so one group is taught about yeah. like women's yeah. bodies do you think the men are taught about how to have emotions <laughs> that's what they talked about <laughs> Um, we also got another Instagram submission. So for context, this submission was a comment on one of our Instagram posts. Now, this person didn't follow us. <laughs> we didn't follow them. God knows how they found our post. Okay. But I actually thought it was really important. And when M starts to read this, you <laughs> you might start making a funny face. But I actually thought it was quite important <laughs> for us to talk about this because I think there are some really good discussion points because a lot of this is probably what a lot of people might have might react to kind of this whole series maybe but I thought it was it I thought it was important to talk about it so <laughs> I'm just it. reading it now to get an idea of how to actually re- <laughs> oh have you not read it yet oh god <laughs> okay so put it this way it's not like any of our other submissions we have okay so I was gonna say I but I'm not 
Okay, so so this particular person said that firstly they calculate the gender pay gap by finding the average wage between all men and all women. Women tend to do less well-paid jobs than men and work part-time. Women also tend to study humanities whilst men study STEM. They're not generalising here at all. No. Women work in people-based roles, whereas men tend to work in scalable corporate roles. So where are they getting this from? <laughs> okay. Men also negotiate salary and demand more regular salary review- reviews than women. Okay. This is because men are less agreeable than women and don't care about rocking the boat at their company. Why? <laughs> Why are you making me read this? <laughs> okay. Right, prepare yourselves. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to brace themselves for this yeah. last bit. <laughs> okay, also, maybe there's only eight female CEOs because, simply put, women don't want to be CEOs because it involves sacrificing your relationship, family life, social life and leisure time and not because there's hordes of women who actually want to do this back-breaking role and are being denied the opportunity. Wow. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here, isn't there? Now, I am going to also make a generalisation and assumption that mm. this was a man that wrote this with a profile picture of a sock <laughs> and three followers <laughs> commenting on a random post about feminism and equal pay on a random account they don't follow. As much as I agree, I think it's probably worth contextualising that this is nevertheless how some people do think and that's that's why it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because Yes, and this is why I wanted to include it because... Particularly that last bit, like, my argument back to this person would be, why does being a CEO have to involve sacrificing your Mm -hmm. relationship, family life, social life and leisure time? That's just the way it's always been done because women have been around, as we heard from previous, all these submissions and the tweets, women have been there to Mm -hmm. take care of the cooking and the cleaning and the childcare and all this so that the men don't have to do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean that's Mm -hmm. the way it has to be done. Mm -hmm. And there are so many female CEOs now and business, female business owners, women business owners who are absolutely smashing life because they're doing it their way that allows them to do everything Mm -hmm. they they want to do. And they don't have to sacrifice the relationship or the family life because they're not playing into this, into the patriarchy. I love that word. Um, Or like, or or the system they're not playing into it because they've <laughs> women yeah. now are, are just going no I'm not doing it it's, it's not the way I want to do it so I'm not going to do it and again obviously that, that comes from a, a, a place of privilege for, for some women yeah. it's just it's just the idea that that's not the way it has to no. be I mean I think I have two main, two main issues with this particular submission aside from aside from this complete lack of you know source material or 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 any kind of consideration for basic human rights but anyway um (laughs) the um i think the particular comment about women work in people-based roles whereas men tend to work in scalable Uh, corporate roles i just i have so many questions around this because a i don't i don't think that's that's the case at all but also what are people-based roles like what are we because are we saying there's not like that's a really stupid kind of uh kind of generalization the other one that i don't i don't understand the point of (laughs) is saying that the gender pay gap isn't what it seems because it's the average wage between all men and all women. <laughs> yeah, that is in fact what the gender that's pay gap exactly is. exactly what it is. And we are in fact allowed to be annoyed if that's not equal because that's the whole point. So, um... <laughs> I knew this would give this us a is, That is properly... I don't understand uh, why you're just telling me. That's a little bit like being like, 
I've just found out the sky isn't what it seems. It's not actually blue. <laughs> it's a mixture of different chemicals in the air. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yes, we know that. It doesn't make it any less factual that that is what's happening. I just think this whole statement really shows why, A, why it's important yeah. to have these conversations because this can't perpetuate as just the except. Because it's also just like reiterating yeah. what the status quo is and expecting mm-hmm. us to just be okay with yeah. it. Like, I don't actually want to be okay with the fact that, you know, women work in more people-based roles and men tend to work in more scalable corporate roles and that's why yeah. men are paid more. Yeah. I'm not really okay with that. So, like, I think that's it. This whole thing, whilst giving us a bit of a laugh, also has demonstrated a little bit of what, what women are up against when you're trying to have this conversation. Because if, if your question is, why are women paid less? And the answer is, well, because women work part-time and that's the end of the conversation yeah. mm-hmm. it really doesn't explore well why do women work yeah. part-time why do women feel that's necessary yeah. what, and basically goes into the whole conversation we've had there's the bit about the negotiating salary part because men are less agreeable than women and women don't care and they don't care about rocking the boat at their company my response to that would be like to just say to all women go and rock the f-ing boat you've been listening to sexism in the city from girls in work Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button now. And if you can leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. And it will help us raise awareness and share this message even further. Join us next week for another episode of Sexism in the City from Girls in Work. With special thanks to Alicia Collinson from Thrive Law. This is Girls in Work. Find us at girlsinwork.com.